and Joe Titch and I cleverly figured out which mic. We're <laughs> <laughs> not as dumb as we look. Okay. We should probably give you a little bit of the backstory of this question and answer session the way that it goes. Many years ago, we started with, somebody suggested it'd be nice kind of midweek to have questions and answers during, in a renewal week. And so Davy and I came over, but we were, well, let's face it, we were basically brain dead. <laughs> and so we just started joking with each other and people loved it. So the next, <laughs> the next year it was more. And then finally it just turned into the George Burns and Gracie Allen <laughs> comedy hour. And we hardly answered any questions. And I don't know whether Swami, Swami got, I think Swami got wind of it. And, and since that time, it's at least, uh, we've toned it down some. Yeah, he's, we were going over to the question and answer. He said, oh, what's happening tonight? And we said, oh, Swami, we do questions and answers, but mainly we just laugh and tell jokes. He said, oh. <laughs> So we, we knew that wasn't yeah. the right, we were not on the right track. On so that. we've reeled it back in at, at least a little bit. But you say what Dunbar just did. Oh, the Dunbar club. did the most charming thing. So uh, Suditi. Yeah, Suditi was up talking with Davy. And so Dunbar came up and kind of knelt. And he says, nobody ever comes up to the guy. So I just came up <laughs> to say hello. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, we'll take number one here. My manager has asked me to do something, but after meditating on it, it doesn't feel right to comply because of a safety concern or because of exhaustion or injury. How can I best respond without it being considered the carping spirit? Well, I'll broaden this question a little bit because often people are in a position where somebody has some element of control, some element of hierarchy, and uh, they're put in a position where uh, their integrity is questioned or compromised. We get, uh, honestly, in India, we get a lot of questions from people who um, are kind of, uh, I don't know, the, the family structure, especially in-laws, can be very um, hard, heavy-handed, let's put it that way. And, and so we get a lot of questions. What do I do about this? I, I don't feel that I can ignore it. I don't feel that I can not go along with it, and yet it doesn't feel good. So. This is a, a difficult question and obviously something that is relatively widely spread for, for people. Well, there's not an easy answer to it. Um, in this case, uh, the manager, is the manager approachable? Is, is it possible to have a conversation with them uh, without it being confrontational. So if the manager is approachable, then the best, the, the highest best thing is to have a communication and if possible have it 
relaxed, heart-to-heart, -heart, and uplifted, not confrontational, not negative, just trying to say, well, uh, this presents a difficulty for me because, um, and then explain why. But in some cases, managers aren't approachable. And so therefore, in those cases, or in-laws, or whoever it is, are not approachable. And sometimes, frankly, situations like this are power plays. And so then you have to decide uh, how much you're going to um, confront the situation. And that's not always easy to advise on. You can give general advice. The general advice is don't go against your conscience, especially if you feel that it is something that's dharmic or uh, that has spiritual principles behind it. You being tired and being asked to do something, that may not be a spiritual principle. That may be God trying to get you to go beyond. If, if Davy and I never did anything when we were tired, um, there'd be a lot of things we would avoid. And I'm sure that's true of everyone sitting here. So, so there you have to, but, but is it repetitive? Is it, is it something where there's power control or issues of that nature? So you have to use discrimination. But So I'll give you kind of a hierarchy of how to approach it. If, if you can communicate on a rational heart-to-heart -heart, uh, basis in a confrontational situation, then do that. The best is to communicate and to come to an, a mutual understanding. That way, both parties win. If that's impossible, then sometimes you have to decide whether you're going to stand up for what you think is right or whether you're going to um, back down. Because in some cases, harmony is more important than than uh, you getting your way. But you just have to really, the, the idea here is that in meditation or outside of that confrontational or the particular incident there, you have to pull back and try to be objective about it. One way of being objective <clears throat> is to um, ask the question, if a friend asked me what they should do in this situation, what would I tell them? Because that gives you just that little step back from, from having it in your face. But then you have to decide what the best course of action. But, but always try to have the, the answer be the highest level of interaction that's possible. And Sometimes, and we find this often in India, people are asked to do something adharmic, and they go along because they're very afraid of losing their job. Jobs are harder to come by. Good jobs are harder to come by. And so they, they go along. And in that case, sometimes that, that's all they, they feel that they can honestly do if they have family responsibilities and people depending on them. And in that case, then we advise that they, that they just talk to God, 
they talk to master, they bring that to master and say, I don't know what to do. I'm laying at your feet. Please help me with this situation. Sometimes the situation changes. Okay, we'll move on to the next question so we can try to cover them. Um, I've been meditating with Ananda for almost two years, and I'm a new Kriyaban. Although I took the discipleship vow, there's still a lot of resistance to having a, quote, personal relationship with Master. I deeply admire him and the teachings the teaching truths reflect my intuitive belief in what this life is all about. Yet, I don't feel a friend or personal aspect with him. How can I get closer to devotion in my heart? It doesn't feel genuine just to call him friend. He's God. Okay, I think we all have faced that question at some point or other. Remember the story in Autobiography of a Yogi, uh, materializing a golden palace, where Lahiri is called up, uh, his job is switched, Lahiri Mahashaya, he gets a telegram that he's being transferred up in the north to Raniket, and uh, so he takes, I think it said it took him a month in a, a horse-drawn cart to arrive there, but when he got there, his job wasn't very demanding, so he would go wandering up in the Himalayas on, during his free time, and one afternoon, he heard someone calling him from high up, from where he was hiking. Just a question, how many of you have been to Babaji's cave in India? <laughs> yeah, a lot. <laughs> it's very nice to go if you can. Um, anyway, so he, he climbs up to where this voice is, and there's a little open area with caves around it. And there's a very radiant looking young man with kind of copper colored hair saying, Lahiri, you have come. And Lahiri doesn't know who this person is. And, and he said, Lahiri, he brings him into a cave. Don't you remember? There's your little meditation asana that you would meditate on. And there's your little begging bowl. And he kind of looks at his watch, one can imagine, and say, you know, I have to be going because I want to get down the mountain before it gets dark. Well, that's what we do all the time. The guru is saying, come. Here, I've, I've drawn you. I called you here. And when Lahiri says that, I have to be going. What does Babaji say in English? Man, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And Lahiri does a double take. And then he touches him. And he said, oh my gosh, you're my guru. You're Babaji from incarnations. And he falls at his feet. And then Kriya Yoga is reintroduced to the West in that episode. But what's the point here? The point is the guru is calling us quietly, unperceptibly, from the first moment we take a breath. It's really, believe me, this is, one time we were with, uh, Swami was having a banquet with some other visiting spiritual teacher and I was serving them from, from behind. And he said to this other teacher, and I think it was for my benefit equally, he said, look at all these people, they're so devoted to Yogananda. They had to have been with him in other lifetimes. And I thought, oh, thank you, Swami. But it's true for you. 
You would not be drawn to this path of Kriya Yoga. And there's little moments. We were talking with a friend today. How did you come to this path? Little moments, little reflections. And we all have those intimations. This is mine. But then we forget, and we have to go back to the office. But, but if we can just... Don't force it. Don't try to have it be a personal relationship. But just let the guru will give you that touch at the right moment. And then you'll say, oh, you've always been mine and I've always been yours. It just, I didn't remember. And that's really all it's a matter of. Do the teachings, the techniques, live the teachings. And, um, you know, speaking, that reminds me of a phrase, and I'll end with this. It's such a beautiful gift that this friend gave to us and we transferred to all of you. There was a very beautiful devotee who lived here. Maria was her name, not the Maria that is here now, but uh, Maria Warner. She was born in um, St. Petersburg in Russia, and she was, through miraculous ways, she came to the West. She and her sister as teenagers. Their parents had both died. And um, she came and finally made her way to Ananda. And she was married to Devarshi, who is now the head of the monks in India. She passed away in 2012, excuse me, 2011, um, she was a young woman, but cancer ran in her family, and she had cancer. And David, she was wheeling her into, uh, finally it had spread to her brain. It was the very last stages. And he was wheeling her into the emergency room because it came on really quickly, and he was very distraught. And she just looked up at him, and she said, control no, detail. No. Deta yeah. Okay, this is your beloved partner. You both realize you're not going to be around long. And Maria looks up at him. Very Russians tend to be very matter-of-fact. And so she looks up at him and she said, detach yourself, control the reactive process, and live the teachings. And that was it. So we, that's Maria's mantra. Mm. Detach yourself, control the reactive process, and live the teachings. And if we can do that, we got it made, and the relationship with the guru, just let it evolve. It's sort of like when you meet somebody, and a friend, a student, whatever it may be, and you just think, you're familiar to me, but it has to evolve over time. And that's the beauty of lifelong relationships, is they evolve over time, and they get more and more deep and beautiful. And not to speak of a life, many lifetime relationship with the guru. So let it evolve over time, and the moment will come where the touch comes, and you fall at his feet, and you say, now I remember. I'll add a little, too. This is an important question. Then the next one I'll take, I'll give a briefer answer. Um, so our relationship with the guru is also an extension of our imagination. I mean, none of us have met Master. All we have are what people have written about him, what he has written himself, or what we imagine. And in many cases, when we're teaching in public, we have to avoid the word God because people react to it. Well, what are they reacting to? They're reacting to their mental image of something. 
And so in this case, I would say, um, just try to gradually allow that mental image to get friendlier and softer. Sometimes it helps, you know, uh, you read in the autobiography and of these masters, it seems like the scariest one of all is Sri Yukteswar, who didn't allow anything to get by him. But that was only as he was training his disciples. In other circumstances, he would visit, uh, like Tulsi Bose's home, which we mentioned, he would visit and there were children there. He always had pockets full of candy to give to the kids and he would play, would bounce babies on his knee and he was very approachable. But when he was training the disciples, he was serious. So in this vein, I'll tell you a joke <laughs> that Master told to Swami and Swami told us. And so it was about uh, it, uh, three people, three men sitting together. One was English, one was Irish, and one was Scottish. And Scottish people are known for being a little tight-fisted. So anyway, the joke is that they all had a, a glass of whiskey. That's not whiskey. Then. That's not whiskey. No. And I, I was going to demonstrate, but I decided not to. And a fly it's, it's lands... It's gin. It's not yeah. whiskey. That's right. Or vodka. Vodka, vodka, vodka. Gin. Um, so a fly lands in the glass of the Englishman. And he looks and he just kind of sloshes about half of the uh, the glass out and the fly goes out. And then a fly lands in the glass of the Irishman and the Irishman carefully flicks the fly out. And then a fly lands in the, gla in the glass of the Scottish person and Master said, and he picks up this fly and squeezes <laughs> it before he lets it go, throws it out. And Swami laughed and laughed. He said, I still remember how Master said, and he squeezes it. So sometimes these different images are helpful to break down the artificial barrier between us and the Guru that we set up. So, as promised, I will answer a question quicker. Did you know that today is Nandevi's birthday? <laughs> yes. Happy birthday, Nandevi, wherever you are. If you're at home watching, I don't think she's here, but if you're at home, is she here? No. Nanda Devi. Nanda Devi. Not Nam Devi. Nanda Devi. Anyway, happy birthday to you, dear friend. You know, I just want to, I'll do one more because it raises a funny thought. Can you say a bit more about rising above body consciousness with your busy schedule? I imagine there are days you experience pain in the body or just not feeling great when, is, when, when there's a lot to do. Um, I'll just tell you a little story that took place when we were in India several years ago. We had the wonderful opportunity to visit one of these very, one of the holy of holies in India, Kedarnath, which is up in the Himalayas. And there is a, it's a fascinating story, but I won't go into it now, how, how it was created. They say the Pandavas made it on their way up the final ascent. And uh, anyway, so it's, it's an old temple. And so we were there with a guide. And one of the qualities of India that 
America does not have is very profound respect for the elders, uh, parents or anyone older. And so the guide had me by the elbow and, we were, and there were these steps to walk up, and, and it was sort of like, uh, you know, I don't really need this, and, and, but he wouldn't let go. And so finally I said, you know, I'm not that old. I can walk by myself. And he said with a great, without missing a beat, he said, oh, no, ma'am, you are not old at all, but these steps, they are very old. <laughs> And we said, you should go into the diplomatic service. That was just a great, great answer. But to answer this question briefly, and then we'll take some from all of you, so be ready if you have your question. You know, everybody has different karma to work out. <laughs> some people have a lot of physical karma. Tratish and I don't have much physical karma, but we also don't take it for granted. We really take, we exercise every day, energization, yoga postures. We try to go for a walk. If we can't do it every day, regularly, and a nice brisk walk on the hills around here, we're careful about what we eat. And so we try, we don't take the body for granted. Even given that, some of our friends who are even more so we should, shall, we, shall we say, fanatical about self-care, have gotten seriously ill. So that's karma. So you can't, you can't say, well, I took care of myself. That's why I'm well. No, it's just karma. But it doesn't hurt to take care of yourself and do what you can, no matter what your basic physical karma is. But yes, there's a lot of times where... Um, when we were in India last year, I got bronchitis, and we had a lot of public talks to do. And I didn't miss anything. I just really rested between the times we had to give talks. And um, <laughs> one time, we tell them about what happened in Mumbai at the, um, when we were staying at the Hare Krishna place. Oh, yeah, well. <laughs> Uh, we had a big talk to do in Mumbai, and we were staying at uh, the Hare Krishna uh, organization has a big kind of a hotel satsang uh, area, so on, and uh, the rates are the lowest that that you can find for where you would have your own room, uh, but the accommodations are, let's say, they're not five star. Um, you have to ask for toilet paper. Yeah, ask for toilet paper, which is not uncommon. But in any case, um, I was quite ill, and I had gotten um, quite ill with deli belly, and I uh, had a fever. And the room that we were in, there was a, a door with the adjoining room, and there was some big family in the next room, and they were talking and Partying laughing and all shouting night, yeah. all night long till three or four in the morning. And so anyway, um, I, I got what tiny little bit of sleep that I could get, and I got up in the morning and took a little pill for uh, diarrhea and went and gave the talk uh, because I could. If I couldn't have, then I, I wouldn't have. So I would say the answer to this is do what you can, but, but don't be, don't be uh, foolish about it. If, if there is an illness that uh, doing something would really hurt you, uh, then it would be better not to do it. 
Um, so you just just use common sense in but, most cases. But <clears throat> oh yeah, there's Miriam. Um, Miriam was Swamiji's nurse in the last years when he was in India, and his health was not good at all. <clears throat> and there were any number of occasions where he would be in bed with a high, one time uh, he was scheduled for a big talk. At, it was at, scheduled at noon, and he had a high fever. I think he had the flu or something. And he just said, "Could you?" He said to Jotisha and me, "Could you guys do the talk for me?" We said, "Of course, Swami." And we were just, it was a, we were just going out the door to go to the venue where the talk was. And all of a sudden, Swami's door opened. There he was standing <clears throat> in his orange robes looking perfectly well, perfectly. And he said, okay, let's go. And he went and he gave the wonderful dynamic talk, came home, collapsed back in bed. So use common sense, but also use willpower. And uh, it's fun when you say, oh God, I feel so terrible. But you say, I think I can do this. I really do. And, and then you find, wow. I, there's, there's the power of the divine that yeah. will support you at that time. So push it as far as you can without doing harm to yourself. And that also is mental harm. Sometimes you're very resistant inwardly. Often it's right to push through that resistance, but sometimes it's not, especially if pushing through is going to create resentment at, that, will, that you can't let go of. Inner resentment. Inner resentment, right? Okay, so okay. is anybody going to be brave amongst you? Brave to... with the people. Oh, gosh, brave people, okay. The question is, um, what's something that you wish you had known Excuse me, when first starting out on the spiritual path? Say again. What's what, something... I'll repeat. What is something that you wish you had known oh. when first starting out on the spiritual path? Yeah, when you were first... Yeah, when you're first getting started out. That's a very nice question. Very good question. Being an artist, I look on kind of artist websites, and there's always something like 10 tips I wish I'd known when I was starting out, like get good brushes or buy the right paint, you know, that kind of thing. So um, what do I wish I had known starting out? Um, Oh, two or three things come to mind. Be with positive people. That's one of the most important things that will buck you up. And if you can't be with them in person, then be with them online. Because that magnetism of other, other people will help you. Um, another thing, relax. The, the path is to be enjoyed along the way, not just when you get to the end. And so uh, just relax, and you still have to put out energy and effort, but, but you don't need to be grim about it. And uh, maybe the third is that you don't know what's ahead, so just do the best you can within what you can see. If you were driving tonight, and let's say you were driving from here to uh, Los Angeles, which so you're going to drive all night long. During that drive, you can only see as far ahead of you as your headlights allow you to see. So 
maybe you can see a tenth of a mile ahead. You've got whatever it is, 300 miles to drive, and all you can see is a tenth of a mile at a time. So just do the best you can within what you see, and if you do that, when you get to that point, it'll be revealed the next step. So um, it's sequential. And so be with positive people, do the best you can for what you're doing, and relax and enjoy the trip. And it's a hard question to answer because I'll preface it by saying, I think everybody starts off, well, not everybody, but most everybody starts off pretty clueless. You think, oh, I read autobiography, I like that. And gee, those people seem, when I first came to Ananda, I thought, these are the best people I've ever met in my life. And that's kind of what held me. I just thought, these pe whatever these people have, I want. But you don't really know. And I was going to say in response, try to be more focused on the path. Don't get distracted so much by, oh, I have to do this and I have to do that. But you can't. You just, you can't go any faster than you can go. So I think the most important thing is just to say, to make, okay, Nayaswami Jaya, who just returned from India, I think, tonight. Is that right, Sagar? Is he, yeah. Uh, he's one of the early members. He said, he said when, I, when he first came to Ananda, he was one of the first people who joined. And he said, you, he made this commitment. He said, you know, I don't know what my past life has been. I don't know what my future will be. But this life, God, I'm going to just stick with you. And it's just helped him. He said, that's what's kept me. So make an inner commitment. I guarantee you, you're going to hit rocks along the way. They're going to be pitfalls and eddies, and, and there'll be beautiful vistas and beautiful experiences that you couldn't even imagine. But just make the commitment. I'm in it for the long run. And, I, and I'll do the best I can in the moment. You know, I'll share a, a funny story about my early, the first winter I was here, and I was living in a teepee. Many of us did. And um, they were rather primitive, but it's, they're cheap. They're very cheap. It's canvas, you know, canvas on poles. And, but you try to make them as nice as you can. So when you put up these teepee poles, I tied little strips of cloth with little bells, and so when the wind blew, it was this nice little tinkling sound. So I was, I was living alone in my teepee. I, Jotish and I were not yet married. And um, I was reading a very inspiring book called St. Francis by Nicholas Kazantzakis. And it had been raining really hard the night before. And, and it, but I could hear it through the canvas. And, um, but then it had stopped. And I opened up the little flap of my teepee. And I looked out. And the thought came to me, oh, the mountains are blanketed with mist. And then I picked up the book. I'd finished meditation, and I started reading. And it said, the mountains were blanketed with mist. I said, that's weird. That's just what I thought that was in my mind. And then the wind started blowing, and the little bells started tinkling on the top of the teepee. And 
I thought, oh, the wind is, uh, the bells are tinkling up above. The next sentence was, St. Francis heard the bells tinkling. I thought, ooh, this is getting a little weird. I was about to put the book down. And then the next sentence was, he knew it was the approach of the lepers. And I, I shut the book. Uh, I'm not ready for the lepers. No. I can do the bells and the mist, but... but and one final thing, you know, we speak so much about being with other guru bhais and community, and I don't want to discourage you or put a damper on it, but the spiritual path is a path you have to walk alone, no matter what. Don't be afraid to be alone. I think I, I wasted a lot of time being afraid to be alone, and then finally when I accepted it, it was, I began loving it. So anyway, for all of you, it's no matter who else is in your life, your one relationship should be with God, and then you're never alone. Okay, Ramesha had a question. All right, any, uh, anybody else? Because Ramesha lives here. He can ask us anything. <laughs> anybody else? Okay. Okay, he's on. Um. I wanted to ask you something about uh, meditation. When I meditate and I go deeper, I tend to fall forward, like my head especially, maybe because I have a particularly long neck, I don't know. But, um, and, and then every time I have to pick myself back up and it takes me out of that inward state, but then it happens again and then it happens again. So do you have any suggestion? I mean, I, I start pretty straight, but then it, as the body relaxes, it keeps happening. So. Yeah. It's a little tough. I have somewhat the same problem, um, not because I have a long neck, but um, when I focus deeply here, I tend to, it's almost like my consciousness is going there, but also there's a little bit of a forward movement there, and I find myself, and I have to bring myself back. Um, what I've done is just to learn to come back without breaking the concentration. So, so you don't, even though you have to readjust the body, you don't necessarily have to get unconcentrated in order to do it. I just, you, you know, you see Bhagavati Ramesh and they're singing and they're wonderful, but I just want to share a beautiful story that Ramesh had told us when he was, I think you were 16 when you read Autobiography? 13. 13? In Switzerland. He's from Switzerland. And then he, but he didn't speak English, so I guess you read it in, in Italian. And um, then he started getting... He wanted to learn the technique, so he started getting the SRF lessons, but they were only in English, which he didn't speak. And so he learned how to speak English through translating the SRF lessons, which is such a lovely story. That's, that's... We had friends in uh, various countries who learned how to speak English or a different language basically by watching television or listening to music in that language. So we had a friend in the very early years there who was a, a young In Italy, woman. yeah. Yeah, in, in Italy when we were there. She was a young woman, and she spoke very good English. Um, but she said, you know, there are some words I just don't know. What does guna mean? We said, guna? Guna? No, not guna, guna. No, guna. No, guna. 
you know, I'm going to do this. Oh, going to do this. Going to, but she'd been listening, I don't know. To rock music. Madonna or something who was, who was going to do this and going to do that. And anyway, she wanted. And, oh. It means curse. Curse. Oh, 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 go, go now, go, go now. now. Yeah, go we'll, you'll see. She brought her, her father to meet us. Oh, this was terrible. And, and our Italian was quite primitive. And so uh, he was telling us a story about, and, and we got enough. It's much more dangerous to speak, to have 25% of the language or 50% than to have none. You know, so we were maybe at 50%. Anyway, he was telling us how he had spent several years in America, and we were saying, oh, wonderful, wonderful, how fortunate you are, and she started kicking us under the table, and what he was trying to tell us is that he was a prisoner of war during World War II and got sent to America, and, and he we were, spent several years in jail. And here. we were saying, mafioso! Oh. <laughs> and we had many adventures when... We would try to lead the prayers in Italian, and we would say one line, and then there would be a big pause, and then they would s translate it. And, yeah, repeat it back in, in actual Italian, Italian of course. <laughs> and um, when the word for teaching energization in Italian, the word for ankle is... No, no, ankle, because rotate your ankle. Caviglia, and the word for pony is... Cavaglia. Uh, yeah, so we were telling people to rotate their ponies. <laughs> and they just couldn't get what we were trying to... But it, it, you get humility from that. Okay, so any other question from the live audience? Uh, my name is DeAndre. I'm from New York. And the question I had was, I've been here Monday, Tuesday, and and today, and like some of the things that you guys said, it like, I can feel it. It's like you're talking like directly to me. So I wanna ask you guys like, what does it mean when it like, it almost feels like it, it's like touching your soul almost. Like some of the things that you, you guys say. Yeah. Well, first, just to put you at ease, we have turned off the camera in your room, so it's not, <laughs> not like we're getting, getting the answers there. But, but more seriously, when Swami spoke, when Davy and I speak, we try to speak as a conversation, and we try to feel... Um, what what is coming from the audience. And sometimes, um, I mean, I, it, certainly for myself, I don't, I don't know, oh, DeAndre is wondering about this, so I'll answer that. I think Master, in fact, could do that, and he would do that. I, maybe Swami did some of that, too. I don't do that, but I often get the sense that I should, I should take on this subject or I should uh, address this. And so I try to follow because we don't 
you know, we have notes and uh, maybe five or six talking points, but as you can see from the way we uh, speak, we, we don't have a prepared lecture, highly prepared lecture. That allows space to work intuitively. And so um, I, I very much try, if I get a thought, I will follow that thought, and sometimes following that thought will be very important. And you, you just don't know what, what's going to be that. The other day, if you remember, I told the story about uh, finding those boxes in that big factory, um, kind of intuitively asking Master for help. A friend of ours told us when I told that, I mean, it's a story that just kind of popped in my mind. I had no idea ahead of time I was going to tell that story. Popped in my mind, I told it, and just that much. A friend told us he started sobbing when I said, told that story. Something in that story touched him deeply inside and, uh, and, and resonated with him. So the deeper answer is that we do try to be open to kind of whatever intuitive um, flow comes to us, and very often that flow uh, is addressing some issue that is particular, particularly pertinent to some person in the audience. And um, you're not the first person that has come up and said, gee, that lecture sounded like you were directing it exactly to me. And, and I could have been just sitting there alone. But, it's, but it, it, it is an attempt to try to feel what the reality of, of the questions and, and have that be a dialogue. But also remember that your soul knows these truths. Maybe you're here for the first time, but you're not here for the first time. Your soul has known these truths and forever because we came from God, we're sparks of God, and his innate wisdom and truth reside within us. So I know when I first began hearing Swami Kriyananda speak, I was a little casual about it because I thought, and I had never studied this at all. I thought, oh yeah, I know that, I know that. And then, I, how do you know that? Why do you know that? You haven't, no one ever said this to you before. But I knew it because my soul knew it. And then I had to say, no, don't take it casually. Go deeper with what it is. So it's, if it resonates with you, it's because your soul is at a point in your evolution where you, you want it. And that's the difference. A lot of people... Well, a lot of people aren't even hearing these talks, but many people are, and it's, oh, well, that's a nice talk. Oh, I like that joke. But some people are having a deeper experience, and why? Because they're, it's that moment for them when they're, they're ready. And so it's not us, it's you. <laughs> yeah, yeah your, your soul knows this, and it's just reawakening. Yeah. <laughs> No, it is, yeah, it is. It don't, is. Don't deny it. Okay, so online questions, are there, Hansa? Our first question, ah, oh, there we go, okay. is from a Spanish devotee. 
Can the astral body be damaged? No. Uh, at least not on this plane. I don't think it can because it's it's made of light. No, it, I was just reading that in the resurrection of Yushri Teshwar. If there is any little disturbance, they said instantly it's healed. So yeah. he said, Yushri so. uh, Teshwar said the astral body is not subject to heat or cold or other natural influences. Thank you. Our next question. How do we keep a constant reminder of the teachings? It seems that we forget easily, just like after we had awakened from a dream. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's good to have little reference points throughout the day. We had a friend who set his watch every hour to go off, and he would just stop and just bring his mind here, Om Guru. And then keep going. So have little point, and no one has to notice. We had another friend who lives here still, um, who was a nurse in um, an emergency room, and she would during her lunch break she would go, she would sit in her car, eat her lunch by herself, and meditate. And then she'd come back, and as we all know, emergency rooms are very frenetic, demanding places. And the rest of the staff would say, "How are you always so calm, no matter what comes in here?" And she didn't say much. She just said, well, I try to be that way. But you have to work at it. You have to create those little moments of memory consciously throughout the day until finally it becomes kind of a, a way of life. A friend of, me, of mine, I won't say the name, wrote me recently <clears throat> and she had had seclusion and had a... Um, it was nice, but... It wasn't as deep as she would have wanted. But then afterwards, when she came out of seclusion, she began for, I think she said, two weeks. She just felt Master's presence constantly with her. And then it faded. She said, I remember the moment when it faded. But then she said, but it didn't fade entirely because if I concentrate, I can bring it back. So... Whatever, that's a, another important answer to the question. Whatever feelings of peace or expansion or light or love that you know are beyond your own ability to create, when you feel them, get out your magic marker, your astral magic marker, and highlight that. I will, I will remember this feeling. I will remember this state of expansion. And when you start feeling pulled down or whatever, then you... Oh, yeah, okay, I can go there again. So, One thing that's also helpful is to have a schedule. Um, so meditate at the same time if you can. Uh, try to have some times during the day where it's like in your schedule you do this. And maybe it's just uh, when you stand up to stretch, you think of, of Master. Uh, remember that quote of moving up and down the chakras, saying Om, and how powerful that is. If you would just remember to do that two or three times a day, it would be very helpful. I myself have a, an Apple Watch, and on the Apple Watch, I don't know if, you, if the camera can show this, but on the Apple Watch, there are different pictures of Master. So every time I look at my watch, I see a picture of Master, just as a reminder. Um, now, those outward things are not very powerful, but they're helpful. And 
they at least spur you on to then make a true inner connection, which is is the point of it all. Okay, um, my name is Monica, and I'm from Vermont. Mm. And um, there's a beautiful prayer, I think it's from Whispers of Eternity, from Eternity, and it says, flood my senses with thy light. And um, I've been wondering about this notion of pratyahara, and when we hear pratyahara is the you know removal of the senses, and that language is like, what does that really mean? And um, I mean, I understand in meditation, we, you know, we don't see, we bring it inside, but in our daily sadhana or our daily lives, um, you know, we're meant to not pay so much attention and let the senses rule us. So I, I wanted to see if you could talk a little bit more about this flood my senses with thy light. What does that mean in, you know, considering Pratyahara. It's <laughs> a very perceptive okay. question. Yeah. The essence of Pratyahara is to withdraw the energy from the senses in meditation so that the mind can become very focused. Um, having read many, many poems and other <coughs> things from Master Prayers, I would say my interpretation of flood my senses with thy light is keep my mind ever pointed toward you. So I can look out and I can see a tree and I can think negative thoughts or I can see a tree and think positive thoughts. Same with people. So flood, flood my senses with thy light so that I see your image, your light, your presence behind the outer forms, uh, even though my energy is, is going to and through the senses. So one is withdrawal to go beyond the senses. The other, as long as they're active, let that activity be constantly pointed toward you. Swami Kriyananda loved rainbows. And often on his birthday, even which was May 19th, even if it was a perfectly clear sky, there would be a rainbow. And, and where did it come from? It was, and you could see it with your eyes, but it was, you know, as we become more refined through meditation, our perception becomes more per refined. The, different, the difference between what we see with our senses and what we perceive beyond the senses, the difference kind of narrows. And you just can start to see the, the light in everything, the beauty in everything. There was a woman, a uh, disciple of Master, uh, very one of his most advanced woman disciples, Kamala Silva was her name. She wrote the magnificent book, Flawless Mirror. She met him when, she and her mother met him when she was just a teenager and uh, was one of his most advanced women disciples. In her old age, she became, uh, she had Alzheimer's and she had no one to care for her. So we brought her to Ananda and we cared for her in the last years. But she got to the point where she would be wandering off and we needed, we couldn't, we could we didn't have 24 hour supervision. So we put it in her in an assisted living home. And one of our members, uh, Viria, went to visit her and it was a room she shared with someone else. And the other person in the room 
the other woman had been in a very bad fire and her face was just totally disfigured and distorted. And, and Viria walked in and she saw that and she said, oh, she thought, how, what a pity this great disciple of master has to see this horrible, disfigured, painful face every day. And so she walked in and Kamala recognized her, Viria, and she said, oh, you've come. I want you to meet my roommate. Isn't she beautiful? And that's how she saw her. She only saw the beauty, so. My name is Omkara from Ananda, LA. Uh, so many of us have been sort of discussing this chanting Om of the Chakras, and do you keep your mind focused here, or are you seeing it from there, or are you visualizing yourself in the chakra? So okay. if you want to refine that a little bit more. Good question. You know, with many, many of our techniques, there isn't the way to do it. You do it as you feel to do it. So um, in Kriya practice, some of the higher Kriyas, we uh, work with the chakras, but we it's as if this is home base at the spiritual eye, and you're always aware of home base and always aware of the light there, even though you're working with the chakra. Um, so I would say, do it as, in whatever way you feel to do it. But the primary thing is to get the energy withdrawn and moving in an upward direction and moving up and down the chakras. If you can kind of keep a reference point being at the spiritual eye, then it's like that gets magnetized more and more and uh, so the energy will begin to naturally flow there. It's good during the day, any time you possibly can, to do anything you can to bring the energy to the spiritual eye. Um, there's a question here about falling asleep in meditation, and um, sometimes you just have to work through that. Try to meditate. Uh, when your energy is fresh. But uh, Davy said I should tell you uh, the joke about someone who wanted to go to sleep. So this mother comes in, and her son is sleeping in the bed. And the mother says, get up, get up. You have to get to school. And he said, I don't want to go to school. She says, get up, get up. You're going to be late. He says, I don't want to go to school. I want to go back to sleep. She said, no, you have to go to school. He says. There are two reasons that I don't want to go to school. All the children, they hate me. And all the teachers, they hate me too. And she says, get up, get up. You still have to go to school. There are two reasons you have to go to school. You're 50 years old and you're the principal. <laughs> okay, and I think on that note, we will leave. Hansa has one more. One, one late-breaking question from online. <laughs> this online devotee tries to do things in a group, but Davy mentioned that it's important to spend time alone. How can I balance, and do I need to shift more to doing things and just being alone? No, it, just, it will happen naturally, but it's good to, it's good to work on it because... You know, Jyotish and I have been married for 
it's coming up to 48 years. As I mentioned, we recorded this um, <clears throat> relationships uh, series. And so we were filming the first one. And I said, and Jyotish and I have been married for 42 years. So he wasn't on the camera at this point. He said, 47 years. <laughs> I said, yeah, that's not a good way to start a course. <laughs> Frankly, I was just happy she made the mistake and not me. <laughs> but, um, and so, you know, and we're pretty much together 24-7, but I think the reason it works is because we, we withdraw into our own space a lot, and we're not always interacting. But So even when you're with other people, you can be... You don't always need to be talking and relating outwardly, but you can just rest in yourself. And the more you practice that, the more you enjoy it. I mean, it's really, really lovely. And so give yourself the opportunity to be alone, to experience it. And little by little, it just becomes so rich and rewarding. And it's during those times, like we go for walks regularly, as we mentioned. Part of the time we walk together and part of the time we walk alone. And it's quite a different experience and it's quite nice, both of them. So find those spaces. And uh, I remember there's a wonderful book called The Prophet, which we read when I was in high school and by Khalil Gibran, uh, quite mystical. And he's talking about, there's a section on different topics in marriage. He said, let there be spaces in your togetherness. And that's, even when you're with friends, let there be spaces in your togetherness. And then it becomes, then you appreciate the times together more. So my friends, I think we will. Well, now we have to have another joke. <laughs> but you have to stand up. Okay. You can have Davey, the big mic. David says I can have the big mic. <laughs> so Jesus and Moses and an old man are out playing golf. And first Moses hits the ball. There, there's the, the course and this particular hole, starting hole, it's got a pond about 30 yards in front of the tee, and you're supposed to hit over that. Well, Moses rears back, and he hits the ball, but he flubs it, and it goes along. And when it gets to the pond, the waters part, <laughs> and it rolls through and comes up on the other side safely. And so then Jesus is up, and he hits the ball. He flubs it. But when it comes to the pond, it just kind of walks across <laughs> the top of the water. And then the old man, he rears back and he hits it and goes about five feet in front of him. And then a hawk swoops down and grabs the ball and flies and drops it in a tree and it's in a branch. So a squirrel runs and grabs it out of the branch of the tree and runs to the edge of the branch and drops it down and hits the back of a turtle, bounces up, <laughs> and rolls toward the hole, stops about three inches away, and a mole comes up and pushes it into the hole. And Moses looks at Jesus and says, I hate playing golf with your dad. Okay. So Davy's going to... 
do a prayer <laughs> by, by leaning over into the mic. It's kind of bowing down. <laughs> I have one question, though. <laughs> I have to ask him if, we, if it's OK to tell this joke. <laughs> what? <laughs> Um. <laughs> okay, we, this is a really good joke, but it's a little bit irreligious, but nonetheless. This starts out at the pearly gates, and St. Peter has been there, you know, sorting through the souls that come up. You can come in, or you have to go take the escalator down, you know, and this is going on. And then Jesus comes up to him, and he said, Peter, you've been here for so long. You've been here for time immemorial, uh, sorting out the souls who can go into heaven and those who can't. And would you like to take a little break? And St. Peter said, well, I hadn't thought about it, but yeah, maybe I would. And Jesus said, I'll, I'll mind the gates. I'll mind the store. He said, OK, OK. And so he goes off and puts his feet up. and. And then Jesus is sorting people. Yes, you can come. No, you can't. And then he sees approaching, <laughs> approaching him this very old man, burdened with troubles and woe. And he's thinking, oh, this man has suffered so much. And as he approaches to the pearly gates, he notices that he has a tool belt of a carpenter. And Jesus looks at him and something starts to come, a thought starts to arise in his mind. And he said, Father, you look so troubled. Tell me your, your troubles and what burdens you. And he said, well, I had a son, and I loved him very much. But they took him away, and I never saw him again. And Jesus looks at this old man, and he goes, Dad? And the old man looks at Jesus, and he says, Pinocchio? <laughs> We've never told that publicly before. <laughs> and now you know why Swami didn't like us to do it. <laughs> yeah, when they let us off the leash, you know, it can get a little chance. So we better end there for, for your safety and ours, too. Okay. Okay, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Divine Mother, <clears throat> friend, beloved God, great masters, Jesus Christ, Babaji Krishna, Lahiri Mahashaya, Swami Sri Yukteswar, beloved master, Paramahansa Yoganandaji. Saints of all religions, we humbly bow to you all. Bless us and guide us as we open ourselves to thy love and thy joy. Help us transmute all lower qualities into thy shining qualities and help us share thy light with everyone. Om Shanti, Shanti, Shanti. OK, so tomorrow there's a wonderful panel.
uh, they'll be talking about their personal approaches to attunement with the guru. And so we'll see you there.